Hey guys, it's 2018. Hope you all had a good New Year's. It's that time of the year where everyone's like, oh my God, I need to stop drinking, or I have to go on a cleanse, or I can only eat vegetarian for the whole month. I don't think that's what you have to do. I don't think that's what we at BA prescribe, but what we are prescribing is that you go to our website, Healthiest, BeHealthiest.com, to check out our feel-good food plan, uh, which is essentially two weeks of eating well. Uh, recipes every night to cook, good wholesome food, healthy-ish, but not too healthy. And to discuss that on today's podcast, I have on Chris Morocco, our senior food editor, along with Amanda Shapiro, who edits Healthy-ish, specific dishes, little takeaways you can learn from the, the plan. Uh, it's very cool. And like I said, it's, it's delicious food and it's treating yourself right. And you can get to it now by going to be healthy-ish, behealthyish.com. And it's like all over the site. You can't miss it. Uh, after that, I sit down with food director Carla Lolly Music and we talk slash argue about <laughs> chicken breasts, the underappreciated uh, white meat, uh, and we're bringing them back. And we have all sorts of ways to cook them uh, and to like just get in there and juicy and delicious. Uh, lots of different techniques, lots of different recipes. All right, but for now, let's talk feel-good food plan. Here is Chris and Amanda. Chris Morocco, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. And Amanda Shapiro, welcome to the podcast. It's my first day. Oh my God. <laughs> you are here. You are the editor of Healthiest, and you're here to talk to us about the Feel Good Food Plan. Uh, yeah, the Feel Good Food Plan, uh, by the time you're listening to this, will have just started. Um, it is a two week plan, it is 360. So there are recipes, which we're going to talk a lot about. Um, but there's also a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of great tips. There's even a workout plan you can do. It's optional, so don't feel like you have to. Um, but if that's your kind of thing, and uh, yeah, I'm so excited for it. I guess my question is, so you know, we are recording this on December 18th, and I know by January 3rd, I will have eaten way too much over the next couple of weeks. I will have drunk too much, and I am, and I'm going to be like, oh, I, I need to like, I need to get it together. Yeah. But yet, I so often don't. Like, like, what is the impetus to get me motivated? I mean, that's up to you. I think it's different for everyone. Um, for me, I actually find it a lot easier to eat well in December than January. I know that's like really crazy. Wait, what? But <laughs> I think that come January, you know, December is so crazy. I hardly have time to sit down. I'm like going to parties. I'm like not really like I don't really have to think about it. And then I think in January, people don't have as much to do. They're home more. And they're thinking, I want to be cooking more, but what should I be cooking? So I think it's a really, you can look at it as an eating healthier challenge, or you can look at it as a like, I want to cook five nights a week for two weeks, really good nutritious food that everyone in my family will love and see how that goes. So the challenge kind of is what you make of it. This is not about counting calories. This is not about, you know, like, you know, sort of just like prescribing like hard rules, you know, and I think a lot of cleanses and stuff like that, like food plans, like go down that rabbit hole of, well, how many calories and how, how much of this and how much of that. And this is about, you know, eating food that you'd probably be happy to eat 365 days of the year, right? Yeah, we so, did. We did. Have, we had a couple rules, but what are, what are the rules? So um, we decided that we wanted to give some people options. So we wanted to have at least one meal each week that was vegan. But you probably wouldn't even guess it was vegan. Like, I mean, you'll you'll notice it's vegan, but it doesn't really it doesn't scream vegan. And then there's also one that follows Whole30 guidelines, um, which are extensive, and I can't tell you what they all are right now. But it involves um, strictly whole foods, no dairy, no no grains, no grains, no legumes. 
Um, and then in general, we tried to stay away from um, really all the things we stay away from generally in BA recipes, like no um, kind of preservatives or additives. Um, and we kept the added sugars out of these recipes too. Chris, you developed the recipes. Can you give me an example of one of the vegan recipes and also one of the Whole30 recipes? Sure. So um, so for week one, I took care of week one, and then my colleague Andy Baragani took care of, uh, developed the recipes for week two. Um, so the vegan recipe for um, week one is the um, roasted broccoli and tofu with creamy miso dressing. And what's cool about that, I'm, I'm very proud of that dressing just because we were able to get a super creamy, almost ranch-style dressing, but using mm. hemp seeds. It's so good. It's so good. You know, hemp seeds are kind of one of these, like, miracle product uh, products, you know, as is hemp in all its wonderful forms. The seeds just are, you're able to blend them into a dressing that then gets this creamy, luscious texture without having to strain anything, without having to soak anything. Okay, all right. I keep on hearing about hemp. I, where do I even buy hemp seeds? Can I just go to the store? Oh, yeah. 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 Big time. Yeah. So they're there. Yeah, oh, they're there. <laughs> okay, so I buy the hemp seeds. And then miso, I think that's one of those products that we write about so much in Bon Appetit. And I'm always like, I need more miso in my life. And like, I never buy miso. And like, what kind of miso am I buying? And then what do I do with it to make this dressing? Just getting mellow white miso, you know, like we love Miso Master brand, is a great place to start. It's like a great gateway miso. Working it into your dressings is a great way to start, you know, so... Um, whether it's adding like a little bit of umami and a little bit of richness to that, you know, creamy dressing that we're doing with the roasted broccoli and tofu, or, um, you know, whether you're just using it to dress your vegetables, you know, just have like, you're able to use a lot when you put it into yeah. a dressing. So for this dressing, how do you make the dressing? Basically you're, you're just pureeing, uh, hemp seeds with sesame seeds, a little bit of miso and water to, so it doesn't get too tight and, um, and then seasoning it. It's really, really good. What's, the, what's the seasoning? I think we're putting in, um, a little bit of onion powder and garlic powder. So those are just kind of off the shelf, like really nice um, ingredients that you can use um, that just give you more of that kind of like umami and some of that richness um, that you're, you know, you're not, you're going to kind of lack, you know, given the fact that you're going to use uh, hemp seeds as opposed to a combination of, you know, mayonnaise and um, sour cream and, and, and heavy cream or whatever else you put into like kind of a normal ranch dressing or buttermilk. But it gives you that wonderful kind of like rich kind of satisfying feeling you know so it tastes delicious yeah so it's creamy it's rich it's a little tangy mm -hmm. so what do you so for that one you're roasting the broccoli what are you doing with the, the tofu roasting the tofu as well um you know one of the things that with that recipe and one of the things that drives me nuts about tofu i get that you know sometimes it just makes sense to cut it into cubes but there's something about eating just weird identical cubes of food, you know, that's yeah. just so uninspiring <laughs> and like so unlike how you'd eat any other day of the year, you know, so it's like you're on the space shuttle or something. Yeah, it's like a little bit matrix with like that goo that everyone's always eating. We decided you know, we were going to get away from the cubes and um, we tore, we tore it apart. We tore it into jagged little pieces that then kind of poke up and at funny angles, you know, in the oven and get kind of crispy and, and nice around the edges. And it's just, you know, and it's frankly faster. Like, do you need to cut your tofu into perfect squares? Apparently mm -hmm. you don't. No, absolutely not. Do I, do I get to make rice with this dish? Um, that one we're not doing rice with, you know, you don't, you frankly don't need it. Like it's a lot of food. It's it? a lot of food. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, there's bro roasted uh, Brussels sprout leaves that go into that for wow. tons of crunch. Then the broccoli adds like a lot of body and a little bit of that sort of toasty, crunchy flavor. Um, you have that rich dressing. Like honestly, like you won't miss you know rice at all in that all one. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so Amanda, so how is it just in terms of cooking and, and the recipes? How is this structured? Am I 
eating three homemade meals a day or there do I get a break here or there or what what was the, the planning that went into making the plan so we thought it was a little unrealistic to ask people to cook three meals a day for two weeks straight. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to do that. I think for a lot of us, even cooking dinner for five nights in a row might be a stretch, especially like, you know, depending on your living situation, where you live, what your life is like, even in January, that's that could be a, a tall ask. So we did know we wanted to do five nights of um, dinner recipes each week. So you can do that on whatever schedule you want out of the seven days of the so week. So it doesn't have to be five days in a row? It doesn't have to be. No, that's the way we're structuring it. But, you know, you do what you want. And so for us, it's starting on the Tuesday, January 2nd, and then going through that first week through Saturday. You get a break on Sunday. You do your lunch prep, which we'll talk about maybe later. And then you get into week two and you do a Monday through Friday. And other than that, we're going to give you, you know, there's a ton of breakfast ideas um, on the on the plan page. And that's going to cover like your typical weekday breakfast. So we're not getting crazy with like eggs or anything composed. It's just a lot of ideas for what to do with oatmeal, a lot of ideas for what to do with your yogurt, kind of the things that you grab on your way to work. And then, um, as I said, we have this like amazing lunch plan that Chris put together. It's a it's a master plan for delicious lunches all week that you would never guess all came from one two hour chunk of cooking. Uh, let's talk lunch. Yeah, let's do it. You know, when we were talking about how, you know, what do we want to tell people they should be doing for lunches during this time? I just said to Amanda, look, I'll tell you what I would do because I'll tell you what, you know, I do do. And when the simple fact is, you know, I have to maximize the time I have on the weekends to get us set up for a lot of the food that we're going to eat that week. And for me, it's not necessarily like, oh, like this is just for lunch or, you know, or is, you know, stuff that's only for dinners, you know, just having stuff that's kind of versatile components on hand. Um, makes all the difference. And if you just look at it as a window of time in which like you're going to get yourself completely set up and just, you know, sort of sacrifice the time to, you know, to prepare, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll have like a versatile mix of stuff that you can put together. So for example, um, you know, we do like a really nice slow roasted chicken kind of based on Carla's fotisserie chicken, you know, where it's kind of you're roasting kind of low and slow for a while. Um, You know, so that, you know, you're 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 setting it up um, so that it wants it's going to want to stay like juicy and super moist throughout the week. You know, you're not necessarily doing it to maximize the fact that you know, it's like the roast chicken you want to eat when you're out to dinner with like perfectly crispy skin. This is the, ch- the chicken you're going to want to kind of shred up, put into you know a soup at night or shred apart and put into a lunch bowl. Um, you know, any point during that week. We're also giving people two dressings, um, a just basic enough vinaigrette, you know, just a little bit of chopped shallot, super basic and versatile. And then we're also doing a tahini dressing. It's a tahini ranch that um, is also that really great creamy pull everything together kind of all purpose sauce. Totally. And that one's got a little bit of miso in it as well. I mean, you know, we're, we're leaning on ingredients, you know, that, you know, have the ability to add massive amounts of flavor with like minimal amount of effort you know and tahini um miso you know onion powder that stuff like definitely delivers so wait so so we're we're packing five lunch five lunches a week or what what exactly we're just we're just making these components so like we're cooking um like mixed whole grains um you know either on the stovetop or in a a rice cooker you know that can then just hang out uh, for the week that you can pull from as you need to and it's not necessarily exclusively for lunches you know that you have to kind of put in identical containers labeled monday 
Wednesday, to you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Everything's uh, meant to be really mixed around. So you've got your your marinated beans, you've got some roasted vegetables, you've got your chicken, you've got your dressing. So every morning or every night before you say like, tomorrow I'm feeling like a salad with chicken on top and this vinaigrette. Or the next day, maybe you don't want any chicken, but you want some roasted vegetables and a really creamy dressing and some grains and some, you know, kale to pull it together. So it's just giving you like a lot of options for the week. Some of it is just dead simple. You know, it's like it's it, there's nothing sadder than just plopping open like a, you know, uh, canned beans and putting it over some lettuce for lunch. I mean, that's like a horrible way to, you know. That? Yeah, exactly. But they're, you know, they're out there. <laughs> and uh, but if you can set up those beans during the week and marinate them in olive oil and vinegar and you know, season them with salt and pepper and they have a few days to hang out in your fridge, like they'll be so delicious. And, and something even as simple as, you know, f- just to have a savory yogurt on hand, you know, just pop open a, a small container of yogurt and throw in some lemon zest and squeeze some lemon juice and add some salt in there. And that's your savory lemon yogurt for the week, you know, that that can work with such a huge range of dishes, you know, whether it's like, you know, adding it onto a grain salad or, you know, putting on top of a soup or something. Yeah, there's a lot of yogurt in this in this whole plan. Can we talk alcohol? No. Oh, come on, please. Yes, of course, of course. What, what is the plan's uh, position on having a drink or not having a drink? What, what are we doing for these two weeks? Not at lunch, but at dinner. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you do you. As I keep saying, um, we're not... We're not cooking with alcohol. There's there's no booze yeah. in the food. But what you want to have on the side is is your call. Again, I know I'm like the weird one. I tend to do a drier December just because I can't handle like all the craziness with like a lot of hangovers. You know, it's it's off That's dry. Wild. I call it off dry December. <laughs> um, but come January, you know, I know some others have are doing dry January. So if you are, we have um, a really handy guide from someone who has tried it in years past and is trying it again and that is chris morocco and that is me <laughs> tried say? tried and failed in years past or last year i should say are we offering sort of cool non-alcoholic cocktails or spritzes or whatnot we're not offering specific recipes for that stuff but i do have a um you know an article that's going to be coming out just about you know kind of my plan for how i plan to get myself set up way better this year than i did last year which is how well, last year, I don't know. I, you know, I went into it last year, and I'd seen friends and you know years prior do it, and I, you know, even like you know our colleagues and like Andrew Knowlton, I feel was always doing Dry January, and I kind of looked on and was kind of like, yeah, I'm just not sure I'm on board with that because frankly, at the end of the, at the end of the day, you know, like at 7 p.m. A glass of wine or two is my little victory dance that I've kind of made it. Yeah. Kids are in bed, and um, it's finally probably just about the only time I have to sit down and relax um, the entire day. So, you know, giving that up felt like a little bit of a sacrifice, as it you know, as it is for everybody. Last year, I never quite replaced that glass or two of wine with anything else. I kind of blew it. I didn't have the LaCroix on hand for chugging when I got back at the end of the day. I didn't have like a fun glass of kombucha here and there kind of ready to go. I just sort of went about my life, you know, without that little kind of glass of self-care. And and three weeks into it, I I kind of expected somehow that, oh, I'm going to feel so different, you know, not drinking. I'm going to sleep better. I'm going to lift, you know, heavier weights at the gym. Or (laughs) I I don't know what I was thinking was going to happen. But, you know, I was like, oh, this 
is I, I kind of just feel the same as I did, but you know, like minus a glass of wine. Um, so I, I ended up kind of just going back to it, you know, three or three or so weeks into January last year. But this year, yeah. So I, I think it's all about having fun drinks and um, stuff for yourself that gets you, you know, at least like excited, you know, about that moment when you come home, you know, and just cracking open like frankly kombucha. I think is like so much better than just having a glass of water and expecting to be happy about it. There's also just a great list of products that you should really treat yourself to when you're trying to eat a little healthier. Um, and Chris also helped source that. And it is things like buy a little bit more expensive yogurt that's like going to really satisfy you. Buy a nice vinegar. If you start, if you try like a really nice, like not just balsamic, but any kind of vinegar you cook with that, you can also even drink it or mix it into um, seltzer, seltzer yeah. you know, with a little bit of sweetness if you want. But like these little treats that you're giving yourself, like those moments of self-care kind of can replace yeah. that. You should still feel excited to cook exactly. in January. And these, and these dishes, you know, A, I think you do have to approach this with enthusiasm and, and buy some ingredients. Look forward to what you're eating and cooking. Yeah. Um, enjoy the experience. And on the alcohol front, I do think when I on the nights I don't drink, I still want that ritual of drinking. I'll still take out my good ice cubes and mm-hmm. slice the lemon yeah, yeah. And, and open a good glass of seltzer and pour it in my nice glass. And I still have to go through that process to have that moment. Now, in terms of the dishes that we're prescribing for this two-week run uh, that you and Andy developed, if you had to pick if you had to pick the, the three breakout stars, the ones that go viral, the, the, the top hits uh, mm. of the feel-good food plan, what would be, give us three examples or three specific dishes that you love. Okay. I think, you know, week one, day one, I think we're starting incredibly strong with the Ponzi roasted salmon for two. That's basically sweet potato, slow roasted with some salmon, uh, also slow roasted. So everything's kind of like nice and kind of like melty tender. But not too Um, slow. But not too slow. Yeah, we're not hanging out for hours waiting for dinner. No. Then we have like super bright and crunchy Asian pear, but you know, just regular pear or apple would work beautifully and some sliced celery and then just like a really nice basic ponzu dressing. It's a mixture of soy and uh, and lime juice with just a, just enough honey just to kind of balance it out. Um, it's it's just so it's you know ponzu and lime juice. And sorry, soy. no lime no. juice in the ponzu. In the ponzu. So like yeah, so like citrus plus soy kind of equals you know something that's like really fresh and kind of like lively yeah. but with that like base note. Are you basting the salmon with this or just applying it afterwards? Applying it after you know and just positioning like that ponzu dressing is kind of like look like when you're when you're kind of bored of like your regular vinaigrette you know that like you might lean on a little too heavily like that dressing it honestly would be just as good on like kale you know yeah. or just like your bib lettuce salad and I think like this is like again like one of those cases where we don't we don't these dishes don't just belong in January, you know, like, I think if people can just learn like a few things and pick up a few things from these dishes that then carries them into the new year, um, and throughout the year, that's like kind of the goal. All right, one more hit single. Sorry to do another fish dish, but Andy's dish of um, the charred cabbage uh, with um, citrus and the slow cooked white white fish, sorry, sort of said that backwards, but is just like one of those incredible combinations of flavors, like where he's charring cabbage literally till the edges kind of blacken in a skillet and then pairing that with um, just bright, fresh, beautiful um, grapefruit, which is, you know, perfectly in season for January. And then doing a slow cooked white fish. And I can't recall if we did cod or perhaps halibut with that. We did halibut. Yeah. You could use cod. You could use kind of anything with that. But again, just like 
that combination of taking cabbage, which honestly, who among us is like that excited to be eat cabbage other than like in kimchi form, you know, or something just like takes that and balances it super beautifully. Um, And that that's one that I will definitely steal at some point and and put put into some other story and some other guys. Can I can I tell you my favorite? Oh, yeah, please. When we were developing these recipes, I was telling Chris how much I loved uh, this recipe that his colleague Claire Saffitz had developed, and it was these uh, chicken thighs where you cook orzo in the chicken thighs with a lot of butter, and you cook the orzo sort of almost like like risotto, like adding a little bit of liquid, stirring, adding a little more, stirring, adding a lot of butter, stirring, and you get these crispy chicken thighs with the orzo, and there's fennel in them, and I was like, Chris, how can we make a healthy-ish version of this recipe? It's so good, and Chris did it, and so he did these, um, it's, it's actually today's, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's the recipe for tonight, and it's the one skillet crispy chicken thighs with harissa. And he basically took out the orzo and a lot of the butter, I think, but left yeah. the the fennel in there, which really like just beautifully caramelizes and cooks up. And the crisp, uh, the chicken thighs get really nice and crisp with, I think, just olive oil. Is that just the tiniest bit of oil? It's like it's our cold pan method, you know, for uh. chicken thighs. That like honestly is like the the greatest possible method for having the crispiest skin chicken imaginable. Starting the chicken thighs in a cold pan just means that um, the skin never kind of shrinks up and tightens the way like when you put, um, you know, chicken or anything else like a filet of fish, you know, with um, uh, skin on it into a skillet, um, into too hot of a skillet, the skin immediately wants to tighten up and contract. And that means it kind of gets bunched up. And then there's areas where it's then in contact with the skillet and areas where, you know, it's broken contact with the skillet. So it never quite gets as crispy. But the fact is that, the fat from, um, you know, whether it's fish or chicken skin renders at a lower heat than it actually browns at. So that entire time that the heat is coming up in that skillet and the chicken is kind of warming up and the skin like basically is going to start to render well before it gets to the point that it's actually browning. The cool thing that we did with that dish was, you know, rather than just taking the chicken out and then just like immediately sweating, you know, all that leek and fennel in there, we actually used that beautiful delicious chicken fat you know which is super high in monounsaturated fat similar to olive oil and we turn that into its own component by um, sort of sizzling out some harissa in it um, and then pouring that off to use as sort of a finishing dressing so it's kind of like a, a you know pan dripping vinaigrette but with like all this kind of like beautiful toasty aromas of um, you know chilies and spices that are in the oh harissa my God, it's so good. and I assume that the fact that you're rendering the chicken fat over in the cold pan over low heat that you then don't need to add a lot of oil. No, we started with like, yeah, I think we started in a dry skillet for that one and we only add a little fat back in later after that, all that beautiful harissa schmaltz has come out. Talking about lessons learned, Amanda, can you give us like three or four or five lessons, cooking lessons that you can take with you from the feel good food plan in terms of eating better, but still being satisfied? I think one is right there. I mean, finding ways to not use a lot of extra fat. because you're cooking with ingredients, products that have it to begin with. You know, don't be afraid of the skin on a chicken. Like yeah. cook chicken with skin on it and you'll use less oil in the end. It's going to even out and you're going to be more satisfied by having like that flavor in your chicken. I think acid is another really important component of a lot of these dishes. Um, we use a lot of lemon, citrus, 
um, vinegars some in some places to sort of keep the flavor really bright. Um, yeah. I think that's the thing in the winter. You know, you're just like comfort food and you're like shoving like pasta, if baked I may, pasta in your the, face. The other night, and, and talking about vinegar, and I know in the test kitchen we like Katz's vinegar, which oh, also yeah. Josh McFadden out at uh, Big Time and Portland loves. Um, but I made a, a roast pork shoulder, slow roasted, fall apart braised, oh, braised pork yeah. shoulder, and I did some little like strozzo prete with a red sauce. And as I was eating it, I was like, man, there's just not enough acid here. And, mm. I, and I didn't add any vinegar at the end to the braising. So it, it had the richness and lushness of the pork, but no bite. And then yeah. the tomato sauce, I probably could have used a bit more sauce. And so you, you tasted the cheese and everything. And to your point, like when when something doesn't have that acid that sort of like awakens your taste buds and makes your mouth salivate, you just end up eating more of it. Yeah. You know, you end up kind of eating more and more because mm-hmm. you're looking for that satisfaction that you're not quite getting. Right. Yeah. And I think I think people confuse the lack of acid for lack of salt sometimes. So they'll just yeah. kind of dump more salt that's, on and it. And that's what I did, yeah. which is, was mm-hmm. also not satisfying. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, salt is can... It's not great to eat a ton of salt either. Yeah. So yeah, and I think the last one is probably um, heat. If you if you're someone who can handle that heat and like as much or as little <laughs> as you, you want. If you can't get out of the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no healthy food for you. Uh, but yeah, I mean the harissa in the chicken thighs is a great example, and we you know we found harissa the harissa brand the NY Shuk brand that we love and. Um, we really stand behind. You can get that one online or any kind of harissa, whether it's the sauce or you can even get the powdered form. Um, and, you know, heat in whatever way you want to work it in there is also a great way to just like feel satisfied while eating maybe a little bit less than you would otherwise. Yeah. I mean, you know, not that we are necessarily counting calories here, but like acid basically is virtually calorie free. You know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of like squeezing a bit of lemon juice on top of something is like not, you know, it's only going to make something more delicious 99% of the times. And same thing with heat too. You know, it adds like a, a different element of flavor. That means that maybe you don't have to lean quite so much on, you know, some like fat or, you know, salt, frankly, to, to get that flavor that you want. Yeah. And finally, one thing I love and I find myself doing more and more of since working at Bon Appetit is uh, adding nuts into the equation. Oh, yeah. Whether chopping nuts, throwing that in a salad, a grain bowl, mm-hmm. even like pureeing them into a mm-hmm. dressing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for like our lunches, you know, we're, we're like we, we sort of stress heavily, you know, if you can take the time to properly toast off some almonds or, you know, whether it's almonds, hazelnuts, uh, you know, cashews. Um, any any nut, you know, like toasting them, bringing out all their flavor, yeah. all that like you know wonderful kind of like delicious fatty flavor is is you, such a great. Do you toast in the oven or on a, in a pan? Oven all the yes. way. Pan. I mean, pan only puts the heat in contact with like you know tiny little spots of the nuts. And, and I it, still do in the pan, and every single time I forget <laughs> it's in the pan, then I was like, "What's burning?" You're like, "Oh, oh the yeah. almonds." Um, toaster black. oven. I do it in the yeah. toaster. What, yeah, what, yeah. What temperatures? So if you have a, a tray of dry almonds, no oil or anything, right? Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, the lower you can go, the better. It's it's almost a function of how much time. Well, how you have. low? Like we talk. I mean, like three hundred. Uh-huh. Like. Never above 350, really. And Otherwise, you, you're just pushing it. And you can smell when they're done, right? Yeah, you can kind of smell when they're done. You know, obviously set a timer because we've all walked, walked back to a tray of uh, cinder, you know, so almond like, cinders. So a tray of almonds, how long are we talking at 300? Um, I think it's like probably in the like 20-minute range, probably, Next. something like that. Yeah. You know? Or less if it's in the toaster because it will heat. Faster. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm in the Bon Appetit test kitchen, you walk in, you, and like if, when someone is toasting nuts in oh. the oven, you're like, mm, smells good in mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, all right. The... Feel Good Food Plan on Healthy-ish. Uh, that is behealthyish.com. Feel Good Food Plan. It's up now. Sign up. Check it out. Uh, thank you, Amanda. And thank you, Chris. Thanks. Thank Good to you. be here. I am 
weirdly excited about this podcast. Cool. Me too. People think like, oh, chicken breast. Like that's like the vanilla ice cream of meats. Yeah. And in fact, that's how I felt about chicken breast. Me? I, I love I love you me too? a chicken breast. But Even if you though, had to choose between a breast and a thigh. Well, all right. If anyone who subscribes to Bon Appetit or goes on our website, there are a lot of chicken thigh recipes. Like, oh, more flavorful, more juicy, more fat, this and that. And like, we have gazillion recipes. And yes, I get it. And thighs were sort of always underappreciated. But there's a reason there's a lot of chicken breasts out there. Why is that? Because they're really good (laughs) if you know how to make them. Right. Right. I also think chicken breasts are like due for a comeback because... They were the butt of a million jokes like throughout the 80s and the 90s. Like boneless, skinless chicken breast. Boneless, breasts. skinless chicken breast. My husband has a, refers to an entire like part of his upbringing as the chicken breast years. <laughs> they literally had chicken breast for dinner like every night. And we've all we've all like bought those like pre-made salads at the airport or wherever when you're getting on a plane. And there's Not the me. boneless. Okay. <laughs> Us normal people. Um, boneless, skinless chicken breasts that are literally like under-seasoned, overcooked, dry, and they're just like quote-unquote pieces of protein they don't taste like food and so i i get the the sort of the the negative connotation among food people that oh they're bland right and then i think they got even when as their popularity grew they got even worse because then chickens were being bred to have these gigantic chicken breasts that were just yeah they weren't good from the from the get-go they're like too big too lean stringy terrible all right, so we're going to talk about some recipes that the home cook uh, can make with their chicken breast. My top order yeah, at a lot of places, like my favorite restaurant, Jeans in New York City, chicken milanese. Okay. So it's like the chicken cutlet pounded thin, breadcrumbs, crispy fried, right. and then like the arugula and tomatoes dressed, olive oil, lemon on top. Love it. Could not be happier. It's great. But that right there, see the way that they're getting around the 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 inherent flaws in chicken breasts is pounding it really thin and covering it with delicious breadcrumbs and then frying it that's sort of a thing that you do so that you don't notice that chicken breasts are dry give me give me one of yours well i love chick i do love exactly what you described Mm -hmm. um but i just also really love chicken parm if it's done properly Chicken parm tastes oh. so good. <laughs> I literally walk around the house some days just doing that over and over again from the Peyton Manning commercial, and my wife wants to kill me. But honestly, when I roast a chicken, I don't, I don't even mess with the breast. See, that's the thing. What like, do you mean you don't me- mess with? The I'm breast? like, I'll, I want the p- pieces that I want are the thigh and the wing. <sighs> If the I whole have, breast could issues. just be a issues. giant I have, wing. I have issues with the bone and the thigh and trying to work around it. That's a whole other discussion. We're a whole get to other a discussion. Chicken parm, we have a great recipe on bonappetit.com from Pietro's here in New York on our sort of best chicken parm. Totally. Pound, pounded real thin. And what, what's good about that one, again, with the breadcrumbs, you fry it, a thin layer of like a brulee of, of sauce, and then fresh Parmesan, mm-hmm. no mozzarella. Right. That's how chicken parm got its name. Oh, yeah, you're right. From the park. But then where did the, the moths come from? I don't know. Everybody wants to gild the lily, you yeah, know? Or that, you know what's expensive? Parmesan cheese is expensive. It is. Yeah. Oh, you know what else I love? I could, I, I love, like, you get this if you if the, if you live in a city with good Japanese, like, little markets and stuff. Like mm-hmm. the chicken katsu sandwich on the little square, like, milk bread, the white bread. Like, perfectly cute. Like, I love going to, like, the Italian hero place and not getting the chicken parm hero which is good there's no shame in a chicken parm hero but getting the chicken cutlet hero with shredded iceberg mayo oil and vinegar totally most of our conversation right here 
revolving around chicken breasts is really a love letter to the cutlet. Yes, boneless. Like neither one of us said, you know what I love is a poached chicken breast. Nobody said that. Well, let's talk about that because you have, there's some post chicken recipes that you did in the magazine, right? You had that poached one that was kind of sliced with a gingery, scallion sort of situation. Yeah, so Andy Baragani developed a few poached chicken recipes Mm -hmm. because we wanted to, like, show the world that chicken breasts don't have to have this bad reputation. And they can be delicious. In the 80s, I grew up with poached chicken breasts, and they were always overcooked and under-seasoned. Right, and they get really dry and, like, spongy and weird. So the key there, and there is something very austere but delicious about them if you cook them right, and then you can do a lot of delicious stuff with your garnishes or put it in a salad or do whatever. So the way that Andy um, recommends poaching chicken for high degree of success is actually starting it in cold liquid instead of dropping it into something hot. And when liquid, do we mean water or we mean... It could be just water. Mm-hmm. See, So you can start with just water with some herbs and like, like a chunk of carrot and a quartered onion in there. If you had chicken stock, you could certainly like double down and, and poach your chicken in chicken stock and that would just make it enrich everything. Um, but you don't have to. So you're, But you're seasoning that... Wa- if it is just water, you're seasoning it pretty aggressively with salt. So just like if you're oh, cooking pasta, yep. that liquid needs to be seasoned because it's going to season from within. So that's really key. If you just poach in water, it's just yeah. it's all mm. actually all the flavor is just going to come out of it, and there's nothing nothing left. Good point. And then you bring it up slowly, so that helps with tenderness because when you shock the protein in hot liquid or just like you shock protein by putting in a hot pan all of those fibers the muscle fibers like contract really yeah. hard and that's what makes toughness so if and you then go it's also slowly, cooking from the outside in and right. then the outside ends up overcooked totally so this goes slowly it stays juicy it's super tender it takes 10 minutes you can like chop chop some cabbage and peanuts on the side you can make a pot of rice you can get a bunch of condiments out you can do do whatever in that 10 minute like very hands-off time that the chicken is poaching and then have dinner so we have yeah so if you for master post chick master poach chicken mm-hmm. is that the recipe mm-hmm. on our healthiest website also bon appetit you'll find it there mm-hmm. what was it didn't you have that one in the dinner tonight section of the magazine oh yeah i did what, what was that one? Ooh, that was delicious yeah it was a ginger broth poached chicken and then i used um some schmaltz and at the same time had like uh rice going and so that was like yeah it was like a ginger scallion little rice bowl that had crispy rice some avocado some herbs chili chili oil sesame oil black vinegar it was really good that was really good why don't i make that more i don't know you should all right so you had master poached chicken do a lot of things with that i'm i'm one who is more i like the fry pan sure uh as i've written about in the magazine every monday night at the Rappaport household is chicken katsu night uh, every Monday. Every Monday. It's nice to know what you're going to get. Which is essentially, you know, same as chicken milanese, but you take a a boneless cutlet, p- get it pounded. If you either pound it at home with a, a tenderizer yourself or if you go to a good butcher shop, it's great when you can order, like, give me 12 cutlets, and they will pound them for you and put them with a the little wax paper and layer them. Like, that's really nice. Florence. Uh, Florence Meat Market, where I like to go in West Village. Um, and then I do that basic technique, which is one of those techniques – that applies to anything. Some people don't know it, but you do dredge it in seasoned flour, seasoned egg wash, then the breadcrumbs. And yeah. we like to use panko breadcrumbs, Japanese breadcrumbs, a little sure. like shards. 
Um, and then just fry that in some sort of neutral cooking oil. Uh, and it's just crispy and don't overcook them. You, that's the other thing. You can't rush the frying process. But you right. want that sort of medium, maybe just above medium heat. So how do you check your 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 the heat of the oil? Do you do a little pinch of breadcrumb and wait for it to bubble up? Sizzle? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you take a they pinch, throw it float. in there. Yeah, and usually, like I said, that that first cutlet's never the best one. But you know, the, the nice thing about doing frying cutlets is. They're, you don't have to worry about their being cooked through because right. by the time one side is going brown and the other side is, they're done. Totally. You know? I'm not the healthiest guy always. I like to do, like, get the mayo and then hop up the mayo with a little Cholula, yeah. maybe some lime juice, totally. hit it with some soy sauce. And then, man, there is few things I like more than a sliced up chicken chicken cutlet and just dipping that in the mayo. 100%. I could literally do that, like, all night. Dips. Yeah. I will just, yeah. I will keep eating. I'm like, I've got to step away from the table. Yeah. Okay, so th- there was a bit of a controversy. There was. Here at Bon Appetit recently. Sure was. I don't think we've settled, we've resolved this controversy. Do you want to share it with the listener? Well, yes, I do. So here's the thing. We love our listeners, right, and our readers. And even though chicken breasts maybe aren't my favorite thing, I know that it is a thing that the Bon Appetit person who is engaging with us really, really wants. And I really wanted to give it to them. I'm also a person who really, really does love a uh, chicken under a brick, a spatchcock chicken. And so I was working on some recipes for dinner tonight, which is our like front of book. This is what you're going to cook this month. It's not about this, that or a trend or a thing or a place or a chef. It's just like normal, good food. Often that we ourselves cook at home. And well, yeah, especially sh- when we ourselves are developing these recipes. It's yeah. like this is a real thing I do. And this is also supposed to be a real thing that the average home cook slash reader can do easily on a weeknight just let's just just Uh, put that out there yeah totally and I took that I really took that to heart and in my mind I was like you know I love chicken under a brick so much and I love spatchcock chicken but obviously that's not going to fly for like a weeknight thing how could I take the the learning of those things and apply it to a chicken breast okay and so that was the thinking going in. I was like, I'm going to get, you know, a split chicken breast and I'm going to press it in the pan and it's going to do all of those things. So when you say a split chicken breast, you mean what exactly? You just go to the butcher, go to the um, meat mm-hmm. counter and they're already packaged this way. So a whole chicken breast is technically both sides of the chicken, right? Why is it? But why? It, that's breasts, plural. Right, but the whole area. The whole chest. I, I, call, I would call that a chest. The chicken not, chest? But, but there's okay. two breasts. Right, so when you buy them packaged, you're buying, because you can buy a chicken breast unsplit. Okay. And then it's like the, but, like, roasty. Yes. But when you're buying it in the package, you're, you're looking for um, split chicken breasts. That means it's both boobs. Both okay? boobs, but... So, but split but right down bo- the middle. Yeah, but bone in, yes. skin, skin on. on. So you still have like the rib cage in there and the skin on. Correct. Okay, so I'm with so you so the far. Big, the big, um, the bones that are in there, you still have the um, wishbone is there. Okay. There's like the sternum bone, which it, we can get to in mm. a second. And then, yeah, those little rib bones yep. on the side. Usually the wing is off. Sometimes it, it depends, but usually it's off. I was like, well, that's what you get. And you don't get upset. And mm-hmm. I'm going to figure it out. So I wanted to do... You know who gets upset? Who does? Yeah. So this is what happened. The first time I did it, I was like, this is freaking genius. And I did all the same things. I wanted to season the chicken because I knew it wasn't going to be cooking for a really long time. So kind of like get a jump on it, make sure there's some yummy pan sauces in there at the end. So I seasoned the chicken 
and I started searing it skin side down and I put another cast iron skillet on top of it and I put it in the oven and it came out and I was like, huh, it kind of only got brown on like one strip. And I realized that the bone that kind of connects the two sides of the breast, that like sternum bone, which is called the keel bone, it was preventing the pan from really pushing down. Okay. So I was like, oh, well, I know how to get around this because I've watched enough Jacques Pepin to know that you don't even need a knife to take out a lot of the bones in a chicken. And I just basically pulled out the keel bone, which is this that rectangular bone in the middle. And then I ripped out the cartilage that um, runs the, down. The, the, doing this on an uncooked chicken breast at this Correct. point. Correct. Yes, okay. Yeah, so this is unpack, unpack the thing. It's already split in half. You just flip it over. You look for this dark bone that's kind of shaped like an anvil. Yeah. Get your fingers around it, pull it out, and then there's like a strip of cartilage. Just pull it off like a Band-Aid. There's full barbarian at this point, just mm-hmm. ripping out bones. And I'm like, I don't even need a knife. And I, you know. And then because I knew like I'm a crazy, I'm crazy, and things that I think are easy, I've been told many times by my boss are mm. not easy. Mm-hmm. And I need to get back down to earth. So I talked to Claire Saffitz. I talked to Emil. I talked to Julia Kramer. I said, guys. Am I going to get raked over the coals for this, or is this going to be okay? And they were like, well, how hard is it? And I explained it to them, just like I explained it to you. And they said, sounds good, Carla. I think, yeah, we're so, down. So at this point, you have a boneless but still skin-on chicken it's, breast. It, it's bone-ish. What does that mean? <laughs> there are still some very small bones. Like the rib bones what? you don't have to deal with because they're— Well, you do if you're eating it. no. Well, no, you really don't. But at that point, why not just take them all out? Because that's annoying and fussy and actually unnecessary. So the point is <sighs> that you have to take out that that bigger bone mm-hmm. because that's the one that's going to prevent the chicken from flattening. The little rib bones, they're, they're like Q-tips. They don't. There's there's nothing going on there. They're very Q- flexible. Q-tip that can get stuck <laughs> in your throat if you don't know about them. <laughs> well, of course, you know about all them. All right, so, sorry. So you 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 took out these so after these, I took out these yes. problem bones, right? And then you did the same thing again. I did the exact same thing, down, and I was like, pan, "Oh, oil." And then the breast, the breast meat really did flatten. So all of the skin was making contact with the pan. That heavier pan on top was pushing it down. And as the chicken, you know, releases juices and starts to render, the pan can still press it flatter and flatter. And you did this in an oven. I did it in a hot oven. Did you start on the stove top. And I then started oven? on the stove because, but actually, what I started, I started in the oven preheating with a cast iron skillet inside so you have to preheat your oven anyway Mm -hmm. this was like i'm gonna get my my pan ripping hot at the same time because it was all for me about like how easy how good of results can we get in how short of amount of time so the pan's in the oven the oven's coming up to temperature i season the chicken with um cumin and turmeric and salt and um paprika but really any mix of dry spices that you like, or you could just use salt and pepper. But I like these, and I knew that the turmeric was going to give me this like really nice color also. Um, and the other thing I did was uh, cut a, I cut a lime in half and just had that ready to go. So when the pan was hot and the oven was preheated, a little bit of oil, those two pieces of chicken breast go in skin side down, put a piece of foil, put another skillet on top, and the two um, lime halves. And then into the oven. Wait, where are the lime halves going? They're going in the pan. Which pan? The pan with the pan chicken? Pan with the chicken. Skin side really? down. Really? Yeah, like cut huh. side down in the pan. For like a charred lime thing. Exactly. And then that goes in the oven for about 10 minutes? 10 minutes. 11 minutes, I think. It comes out. It's juicy. It's crispy. Really dark, 
really nice skin, beautiful, turn it over, take it out of the pan. And then the lime um, is charred, but it also is like super warmed up and juicy. So then I just take with a pair of tongs, just squeeze that lime juice into the pan mm. and it made like delicious pan sauce. See, that's and then great. I served it with some fresh lime on the side. So I've gotten a lot of feedback, Adam. When Adam saw this recipe, I'm just going to let everybody know he's very disappointed and upset. Okay. My issue is this. First of all, it's called 12-minute saucy chicken breast with lines. Don't get saucy with me, (laughs) Benet. You're old enough to know that movie, right? I am. Yeah. But I like Uh, the combination of- History of of the World Part 1 by Mel Brooks. 12-minute and saucy in the same breath. Who could resist that? No, no. My issue is this. So- the the problem I had, and as I explained it, these are weeknight quick recipes for like the intermediate cook that yeah. he or she can quickly throw together. Yeah. To have to perform surgery on a chicken breast to remove like no one's ever even heard of a keel bone before. That's okay. As soon That's as you why... say the word anvil, you're like, oh my god, what? And then, thirdly, my issue, as I said to you, is like if if this was in a, on a page where there were nice sort of like. Cooks illustrated diagrams and stuff and drawings that, hey, this is really easy. You just put your finger here. You pull mm-hmm. on that. Okay, like walk me through it a little. On the page that we had a photo and we had the recipe, there was no diagrams or illustrations to let you, the reader, know what you were doing other than reading it. And as soon as you're reading Anvil and Keelbone and everything, you're just like, I, I'm out. Pulling so the um, that was great feedback that you gave. Oh, thank you. And you gave it very calmly. Um, and in the end, we did add um, – in a little sketch of what it was, what what we were talking about, and found a way to um, reorganize that page so we could include that that service. But Adam, I have to say, like sometimes I think you might underestimate our our dear reader because and our listener because they actually, I, when I interact with people and a lot of people made the twelve minute saucy chicken with limes and I got like yeah. DMs okay. and okay. pictures but, but, and tweets. But you know who you didn't interact with? All the people who didn't make it. Well, that, you that's only heard from the people. But no, true. but you, some there, people don't even like chicken. No, but the there's so many people who didn't, didn't who were scared away by all the surgery, so they didn't even bother. And I'm just saying, you could have had so many more compliments. I'm, tr- but I'm, it I'm trying. But There's a lot of chicken. Trying to help you. There's a lot of chicken breast recipes out there, and like I think that some people are looking for like, wow, that's pretty cool, and I never knew that before. This is like and a, now I feel like a badass. This is a hashtag worth it recipe, but I'm just saying you needed to sell it a little better to sure. convince the sort of the the intermediate, perhaps tentative home cook that like, okay, hey, you got this. Yeah. We're going to walk you through it. Right. But my question is this, and I think I know the answer, and it's different with restaurants where restaurants are doing all sorts of butchering and this and that. Is it hard to find boneless skin on chicken breasts is it hard it's impossible no it's not i mean that is not how they come prepackaged. that is not the standard way that they're going to be broken down you would have to go to a butcher to ask them to do it we're actually i part of this is like we need to lobby the whole like chicken and butcher fabrication society Mm -hmm. of america to like get on board with the fact that we like the skin on and we want the bones out Thighs also. Thighs also. Because you can either get skin on, bone in, or skinless, boneless. And can we split the difference here? So certainly I could have gone up to the butcher counter and said, here's what I want. I want the chicken breast split, but can you take all all the bones? And they would have been like, okay. And I think that you can apply the same thing. I know it's not a chicken breast, but the chicken thigh, skin on, bone in, it's really easy to take. It's just the the one bone. It's kind of like a little drumstick bone. It's pretty easy to to cut that out um and then that makes like a fantastic 
chicken thigh cutlet sandwich. Mm. Okay, you can go to bonappetit.com to find all these recipes. The one that Carlo was talking about earlier is called chicken with crispy rice, a little mm -hmm. ginger scallion, avocado, hot sauce, and that's like sort of hacked up poached chicken. You have the 12-minute saucy chicken breaths. I do. Uh, what were, were mine called? Like the chicken katsu or chicken milanese? Yours was the one chicken that, katsu. Yeah, that we did for Marlon. Yep. Uh, that's a really good one. And then like the BA's best ever chicken parm. Gotta love it. Thanks, Carla. Thank you. Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Gradies with additional music by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.